Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What's up, listeners, and welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. That's Langston Bachelor Dad to you, Patrick. Wow, that was unexpected and kind of fun at the same time. It's great. <laughs> hey, if Chris Pratt can have Rex Danger Vest, I can have Langston Bachelor Dad. Well, you've got the facial hair to go with it, so it's not marked on stubble, which is nice. Um, if you haven't already guessed, this week we actually got back into the theater and are excited to talk about one of the most grammatically complex titled films of 2019, colon, The Lego Movie 2, colon, The Second Part. Wow, that's a lot of verbiage. So for the sake of you guys and for Aaron's sanity, for the duration of the podcast, we'll either be referring to it as Lego 2, L2, anything that doesn't include the words the second part, because that's just unnecessary, even though it's trying to be funny. So I would imagine, however, that a movie itself isn't nearly as complicated as its title, but it might be. We'll get into that here in a bit. But first, a couple of announcements. Yeah, a couple of quick voting related things. The first up is this past week, we had our feelers choice vote in our Facebook group, our listeners that are members of that group went ahead and submitted nominations for all of our awards and voted up their favorites and determined what would be on the Feeler's Choice Award ballot come next weekend. So we are very excited about that. The way this works is we like only our community to vote so that it gives us a good idea of what our unique community preferred over the course of the year. And so to keep that kind of sectioned off, we only post the link to this in our Facebook discussion group. So you can become a member of that by visiting facebook.com slash groups slash film, or you can find a link to it in the show notes or just search for it within Facebook and you'll find it. We would love for you to become a part of that community. The voting link will go up on Friday, February the 15th, and it will stay through Sunday, February the 18th. And then those award winners will be announced on our big mega award episode the day after the Oscars, where we recap the Oscars and also announce the winners of the 2019 Fielder's Choice Awards. So we would love for you to come be a part of this process with us. Um, and we would encourage you to, if you're a listener, especially if you're a longtime listener, we'd like to have your input and, and it would be fun to see how the community comes out with their favorites for the year. So the second vote that happened was our donor pick vote with our patrons who chose our February donor pick episode. And that is going to be 12 years a slave. So we'll be maintaining our theme of celebrating black history month by digging into that very heavy, but very, very impactful and important film from a few years ago. Um, I think it is a great choice for this particular theme. I know it is Patrick's first viewing of the film, so it's going to be interesting to hear what he has to say about it. I personally have not seen it since my theater viewing. It's it's very heavy. It's not one that you just revisit all the time for fun. Uh, and it's a film that you kind of got to get in the right mindset for. So hopefully both he and I will do that. And I think we're going to have a good conversation about that one. Fantastic, sir. So this is your obligatory spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, please go see it. Come back. Enjoy the conversation. But really more than anything, enjoy the movie. It hasn't gotten a lot of love this weekend. We don't really know why. 
Um, I've heard people say it's the weather, you know, with the East Coast and West Coast getting hit with a lot of the uh, Snowmageddon 2019. It's not bringing in a lot of uh, box office haul that it would expect. But I did see on my Xfinity menu pop up, it did beat everybody else out, even though it wasn't what was expected. So throw it some love, bring your friends, bring your family, laugh a lot, enjoy it, and then come back and enjoy the conversation. That being said, we'll drop into our one-word takeaways, and I'll go ahead and kick us off. The word that I came out thinking about from this viewing was the word wishing. And not wishy, not wishy-washy, but wishing, W-I-S-H-I-N-G. And um, really, I was trying to think about this experience, and I, I thought about the Lego movie and how it was really my first entry into this really crazy good animated world. And then Lego Batman just pushed my enjoyment factor just really high up, which I know Aaron's excited about that because anytime I give love to Batman is a win in his book. But this entry seemed to me like it was kind of a mismatch of what made the first movie great and taking the momentum of Lego Batman and then really ratcheting that up to 11. The jokes were less subtle than previous entries. The story was a bit more complex. And overall, the place for me and in general it was fun in the same way that I felt about Thor Ragnarok. Uh, there were pockets of things that I wished I would, that would have been the focal point. And even my connecting point kind of speaks to that. And obviously we'll get to that. That being said, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I laughed and I will probably watch it again between the two of us. I would imagine it's going to show up in our voodoo library when it hits video on demand. And I got to take my son which is a rare thing. Normally I go see these things on my lunch break on Fridays because of the three people in my household, only one person is really interested in seeing movies uh, this much. And it was part of a full day of getting to hang out with him. It took him to a birthday party and whatnot, but he really loved it. He thought that in particular, he got really excited when he saw Batman doing the floss. Like he looked at the screen, looked back at me, smiled, and then started doing the floss in front of me. And I was like, wow, okay. So if that's the only thing that he took away, then that's a win for me. But honestly, for this guy, overall, everything wasn't awesome. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that. Yeah. I mean, you can't win them all, Patrick, and you can't be right about every movie. So it's okay to be wrong every once in a while. Just allow <laughs> I yourself. I usually that. am. I usually yeah. am, which makes our conversations probably that much more entertaining. You're not usually wrong, but you you may be here. I think there's some anti-Batman bias. I think if this movie was helmed by Superman, that Patrick would might have liked it a little more. But it would have been the first time, and I probably would have been more elevated. Because there's a reason it's not. <clears throat> anyway, um, all right. Well, I am giving myself away, but I definitely enjoyed this movie more than Patrick. We've established that. Really quickly. My one word takeaway was clever, Patrick. Um, you clever girl. I think it is entirely unfair to go into the Lego movie two expecting something as profound as what we got in the Lego movie. And so for audiences who may have done that, they did themselves a disservice and they might want to rewatch this with a different frame of mind and see how they feel about it coming out of it without that expectation. The twist at the end of that first film, Patrick, where the audience realizes that these characters we've been watching are all just creations inside the imagination of a little boy's head, that is an all-time meta moment that retroactively connected us to everything we'd just seen in that story in a powerfully emotional way. 
It was revolutionary. It was unique. This time around, much different case. We know the drill. And the only thing that Lord and Miller could do to be successful, in my opinion, was exactly what they did, which is embrace it. Instead of trying to work around our knowledge of these characters being imagined, we bring in new creations from the imagination of Finn's sister, Bianca, uh, played by the amazing Brooklyn Prince from The Florida Project, by the way. And she interacts with Finn's creations right away. This manifests itself in such a brilliantly clever way throughout the entirety of Lego Movie 2, and I think it adds an unexpectedness to how the characters from Bianca's world will act that we don't get as much from the Finn characters that we already know. Like every Lord and Miller pinned script, it is also just incredibly well written when it comes to the quirky humor and the quick-witted one-liners. The references are constant. And I get that while some may not like that storytelling device, I personally love it. I eat it up. Um, I'm here for it. And so it speaks to me in a big way. There's rooms for films like this and Ready Player One, in my opinion, uh, where the experience of relating to a movie's pop culture connections makes it endlessly enjoyable and infinitely rewatchable. And that speaks to the experience that your son had, where he's immediately flossing because it's his favorite character and he's flossing and he's like, wow, that's awesome. And that's all that he needs to be entertained. Well, you got one of those things right. He likes the floss. You know, let me have this moment. You're interrupting <laughs> my monologue, Patrick. I was monologuing here. Sorry. I'll go get some. I'll get something to drink real quick while you keep <laughs> But seriously, the cleverness in the jokes and the references and the way in which the real life family conflict inspires this awesome sci-fi apocalyptic slash fantasy world. It you know it comes together really well for me and the musical numbers oh my gosh i love them and i have not been able to stop listening to the soundtrack ever since seeing this movie and then on top of all that you throw in this especially clever self-referential commentary on chris pratt's career trajectory that i think when all of that combined it just made the lego movie 2 just as entertaining as if not more than the first two for me and we say the first two because we don't count that Ninjago misfire. <laughs> well spoken, well spoken. Well, let's go ahead and get the conversation started. You mentioned references, and as you said, this film is just riddled throughout with references. It almost feels like we're just getting shots fired nonstop, like just bullets of, of different references. It's an absolute playground for the Lego brand that, that's come to life and even more so than the Lego movie. So like I mentioned, you mentioned, it's just ratcheted up. And it brings all of these different kinds of genres and characters and different brands together to create this really interesting connective experience for both kids and adults. And this is what was interesting for me is I was laughing at a lot of the jokes and my son kept looking at me saying, what's funny? What's funny? And of course, I can't just explain to him the jokes. One, because it's a movie theater. You're not supposed to talk in a movie. And also, it would just be over his head. I mean, Lord Miller do this really great thing that I've enjoyed from the days of like Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures, where you have this combination of really clever childlike humor intermixed with this adult humor pocketed in between here and there. And some jokes landed really well, some jokes not so much. And I know for you and I, this is kind of where we disconnected a little bit because what you liked so much 
I felt like was kind of a, a misstep for this edition. To me, I think Lego Batman hits all the right notes in terms of its self-awareness, of its in-jokes. And in particular, I think the DC properties or the Warner Brothers properties that were part of Lego Batman that got to be highlighted in a purposeful way. For me, Lego 2 seemed to throw things in on a whim and I knew that they were references to something. And so some of my frustration was that I didn't understand what they were or where they came from. But even the ones that I saw, there were, there were a handful of them that I just thought were unnecessary. I thought they were just thrown in for good measure. And it s- sort of distracted me from the overall narrative. The fun factor was there and I laughed. And so it's, I'm not going to apologize for things being funny, but when you're not necessarily adding to the story, for me, it just didn't quite work as well. It's interesting because I, I mean, you're not the only person that's going to have that reaction. And I find it interesting to compare that to Ready Player One because they're very similar. There is a story happening that is very obvious throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several bigger themes, but it is just told in a way that is steeped in a constant barrage of referential terms and you know action pieces and set pieces and just everything about it is kind of progressing forward with the idea of tying into something else it it is very similar to ready player one i wonder why it works more for you in something like that than it does in this i've thought about that and i think it has to do with the fact that this is a sequel that it's not its original context so the lego movie worked really well for me because i hadn't seen something like that before and got a lot of fun out of that type of of storytelling. And Lego Batman did the same thing, but it was done in a slightly different genre. We weren't we weren't calling out the fact that he was Lego. We call out the fact that he was playing in the world of DC specifically and that the only kind of outside references that we got were other Warner Brothers owned villains which i thought was probably one of the most brilliant pieces of creativity in in film and how to use your prop all of your properties or as many as possible for the sake of humor both it's kind of like with with ralph breaks the internet there's that great shot where he goes to disneyland or disney town or whatever it is the disney webpage and there's a shot of all the properties that disney owns as a way to say look at how amazing we are and it's completely egotistical, but completely incredible as well. And if you own the thing, you might as well flaunt it at that point. And so for me, I think because I was used to the Lego movie, I was trying to get used to this new story and at the same time trying to absorb all these things that these guys were throwing at me. And I think it was just too much for me. I think it was too much for my brain to kind of say, oh, should I, oh I'm enjoying that. Wait, wait, what's going on here? Oh, this person's talking. OK, wait, wait. Are these the bad guys? What's what's happening? And I think that by the end of the movie, when we start or near the end of the movie, when we start kind of bringing all those pieces together, I had a hard time putting those pieces together. I mean, no pun intended with, you know, Lego pieces, whatever. But I, I had a difficult time getting all those points to connect in terms of what's actually happening. And I know that makes me sound dumb and that that's the truth and whatever, but I think because I left the theater kind of feeling a little confused, 
like what did I just watch or, or what did I get everything? I think I felt a little lacking in that regard. So I did not. And I, I'm sorry. I hate that. And I'm wondering, I, I'm excited eventually to hear what you think of it when you watch it a second time at home, which I know. Yeah. You know. Like yeah. you said, we're going to own this. I can guarantee right now I'm buying it. I'm buying it because I loved it. So, and, and I have no doubt that having that first experience will, will help that. So the reason I think it's so great is because as an adult, most of these references I got, like almost everything. Um, and they are probably over the head of many younger kids. And I think there's a difference there, you know, where they tone down the characters and the way in which they were referenced in the Lego movie. So the biggest part is there's that big moment where they're having the, um, the, everybody comes together and Gandalf's there and, or is, I don't know if it's Gandalf, but it's the white wizard and, um, and they're, you know, meeting Emmett and you get to see all the different mini figs in the mm-hmm. audience. So the referential material is more like, Hey, there's a guy. Oh, cool. Look, it's that guy. Oh, cool. Look, it's that guy. It's not necessarily conceptual. In this one, it's much more specific. There are the Mad Max vibes that go all the way throughout where the cars, Batman is wearing a Mad Max like armor piece on him that you aren't going to get the way that the cars take off throughout the desert landscape. They are blowing fire and they have people on them playing music very much like the Mad Max scene. Lucy loses a hand. I don't know if you noticed this, but Lucy at one point has a black hand and a yellow hand, which I believe is mimicking the Furiosa situation in Mad Max where she has a prosthetic arm at one point. So it is, this, this one is much more deep when it comes to the way it references things. When they say something that's simultaneously like kind of like a throwaway line, like, Oh, the superheroes are gone for five years. What they're actually playing and riffing off of is Justice League and the actual comics and what the, you know, the Justice League is doing and what they're fighting in the Justice League animated universe. It's crazy how kind of specific that stuff gets. And then we get into Chris Pratt's, um, roles, of course, which is totally just super fun with the Raptors, uh, talking in different languages or talking in Raptor language and having it translated on the screen. That was one of my kids' favorite things. The fact that Rex Danger Vest is this mix of cowboy Chris Pratt from uh, um, Mag 7, Owen Grady from Jurassic World, Star-Lord. It's all in there. And, and, and the references, they just keep coming, especially when we get into the end of the film with the time travel and some of the odd concepts. We get a hot tub time machine mention. We see a TARDIS. There's... Um, uh, Bill and Ted's phone booth. There's obviously Back to the Future references going on. So they're used to progress the story and to tell the story and explain things that are happening, not just thrown in for the heck of it, most of them. And I really enjoyed that. And, and I think, I think for me, what it boils down to is that it's, it's a movie that I am not as emotionally invested in as the Lego movie because of the the way the story's told. But it's a movie that's more fun for me, and I will rewatch it more times because it's more entertaining to me. So it's weird because I grade them kind of on completely different curves. Does that 
make sense to you, like why I like them is for entirely different reasons. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And to me, the Lego movie was about Emmett. It was Emmett's story. This is not Emmett's story. It's a, but whose story is it? It, if we talk about screen time, it's probably more, or if we're talking about main plot devices, it's really, it's either Emmett's or it's Batman's. And I mean, I'm fine with that, regardless of my love or not love for the Caped Crusader. But in all honesty, I didn't really connect with either one because I didn't know who was the central focus. And if they, if both of them were supposed to be that way, or if it was supposed to be more of a team up, I think that that didn't get translated to me very well. I think you had, again, going back to Ragnarok, I think you had just a lot of stuff going on that was incredibly entertaining and incredibly enjoyable. It just didn't feel like a complete narrative to me. It felt like we were jumping from different, we had big ideas that were being presented and they didn't necessarily feel like they landed on all of them. The the time travel being one of them, the idea of the matrimonial ceremony. And I think part of it had to do with the fact that we know that these guys are living in a world that is being created by human beings, that's being created by real world folks. While that was a really great surprise for Lego, knowing that in the back of my head, I couldn't help but just start thinking about, okay, well, what's happening in the real world at this point? It's great that you bring that up because I actually think that that's probably the number one reason why the references are meant to work the way that they do and why I enjoyed them is because I took this as a 14-year-old boy making up this story. What is a 14-year-old boy going to create with his characters? How are his characters' stories going to play out? They're going to play out via references for pop culture things that he has watched and he has enjoyed, comics he's read, movies he's seen, things like that, video games he's played. And so for his Justice League characters to, quote, go off for five years, for his, you know, Lucy to suddenly have a arm that, that looks like Furiosa's, these are things that actually connected with me because I was thinking the whole time about how it's actually Finn in his imagination that is telling this story. So, yeah, they're going to have a complicated, crazy mixture of weird time travel stuff that doesn't make sense necessarily to us in a narrative sense. That's because it's coming from a 14-year-old's imagination as he's playing with his toys. That's how I took it. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't completely agree, but but I get that perspective. And I... I like the fact that we have a, a an age appropriate kid, like that we have that this actually in in our time and in the time of our characters, we have gone five years ahead. We are five years in the future, and I, it better I love- be seeing the size of freaking Apocalypseburg. My goodness gracious, it t- would have taken five years to build that dadgum spread, man. No doubt. It was no huge. Doubt. Oh, did you get the Planet of the Apes reference, by the way? I Wait, didn't. The, you yeah, didn't I mean, see the, it was one that missed. <laughs> the Statue of Liberty that was like on its oh, that, side? Yes, yes, That's Planet okay. of the Apes. I, I love it. That. I love, I, I just love sci-fi and apocalyptic films too. Like this is like my favorite. It's kind of like Aquaman and how I was mentioning during that, that, you know, all these different genres and things that I love were thrown together. This one was like that. And then they surprised me with musicals on top of it. And it was like, mind is blown. Aaron can't handle this kind of awesomeness. So, did you, just, sorry. did you just fall out of your chair in the in the theater? 
I would have if it wasn't so comfortable. <laughs> so we, we've gotten the fun factor out of the way, and we can both agree that it's big fun for sure. And I, I will definitely say this will be one that I rewatch. And in fact, my you'll be happy to know, my, my son, we got home for the day, and he said, hey, Dad, can we watch that movie at home? And I said, you mean the Lego movie? He goes, yeah, well, we have to wait for it to... uh to come out of the theater. He goes, how long is that going to be? And I said, I don't know, but I can guarantee you that uncle Aaron's probably going to be buying it. So we'll get a copy of it as soon as it hits the, uh, hits the video on demand. So I will definitely be seeing it with my son at least once, probably five to 10 to 15 times, depending on what phase of his world he's in. He, he likes the Lego movies. He loves Lego Batman and he hasn't seen Ninjago. So we'll keep that. Uh, we'll keep his, his, his purity intact. You know, we mentioned, the thing about the Lego movie was that it had a little bit more emotional connectivity. And this movie isn't without that. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was just a series of gags, like a, you know, a series of SNL sketches, but it actually has some stuff going on with it. And I think that that's what, what is a great credit to the writing team of being able to be purposeful with how they're telling their story. And one of the things that is picked up on is this movie being about gender roles and how we consider quote acceptable play, how it shapes our culture and our lives. And as you mentioned, it revolves around Bianca wanting to play with them. We have these two characters that live in the quote real world and Bianca is being pushed out because her Duplos, which are Lego, but not quite. Yeah. Fake Lego. Fake Lego. And all these other figures that she has, they don't mesh well with the world of Finn's dark and gritty Lego world. And when I was watching the documentary, not brickumentary, but the Toys That Made Us, I was watching that that uh, documentary series. They talked about that. The fact that when Lego lost its patent, you had all these other kind of duplicate or knockoff brands that were guaranteed to fit with your Lego bricks, but somehow it didn't quite and how Lego their, their image was kind of tainted a little bit. And I think we get some of that. We get this idea of, Hey, your inferior product shouldn't mesh with mine because this is Lego and you don't need to have any part of that. But honestly, the truth behind this is that she just wants to play with her brother. And I wanted to to know how did that work for you? That big storyline work for for you well i love it i mean i i think it's a fantastic driving point for this story so the first one is largely about finn wanting to play with his dad the first movie so this feels like a perfect natural progression of the story where now we've got brother and sister who don't necessarily have the same idea about what playing should be and what's fun, you know, dark and gritty world versus vibrant, fun, unicorns, glitter, and rainbows don't always necessarily go together in these kids' heads because that's what, like you said, culture has kind of shaped them to believe. And so for this to be all about a brother and sister ultimately finding a way to take their interests and put them together and enjoy them and bond and spend time together having fun, I thought was genius and was was really encouraged by it. And then I also thoroughly enjoyed the way in which it's done. I love that we don't spend a ton of time with them throughout the film. It does cut 
back and forth a few times kind of to reality, whereas the first film doesn't do that until the very end. I liked that because it gave us occasional, you know, points of reference for where we were at. Um, some of the puns may not have hit as well with younger audiences, and I think that was the reason for that. You know, I love the puns. I'm a pun guy, as we know here on the show. And, you know, our mama getting is phenomenal. The Sistar system. As soon as I heard that the first time, I was like nudging my kids. The acting, Sistar system. Acting like I was the smartest guy in the room. And my daughter's like, yeah, dad, I get it. I, I got it. Like, <laughs> I got it as soon as she said it. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't. You needed me to tell you. Because, see, I'm doing it now, right? I'm I'm doing that exact thing that this movie's trying to deconstruct here. And so... I love that, but I thought that it was cool to to go into the real world and show us some of those things by watching the Legos go up the stairs when they're traveling to a new dimension. That was cool, but it wasn't overdone. Um, it kept us for the most part in the Lego realm until kind of toward the end. And I just really liked that relationship. I also thought it was a neat little dig at parenting because the only thing we get from... I can't think of his name. What's Will Ferrell. The, Will Ferrell's character, formerly Lord Business and Dad, also known as Dad, um, is he says he's going golfing, right? And he leaves the kids to deal, be dealt with, with mom. Like it's it's a very real thing that happens in our lives where we hear about dads who check out and go away, and or parents in general, and leave it to the other parent. To handle the problem. And it's very clear that that's what he's doing. He's like, he sees the problem and he's like, I'm going golfing, right? And I thought that was a nice little kind of jab and commentary on that without trying to go too deep. And, and I liked it. I liked that the film kind of married subtle things like that with very on the nose um, things like the brother and sister coming together to learn to let their worlds unite and doing so by the means of these toys kind of expressing that to each other and the toys reacting as the brother and sister do. It's yeah. And I saw, I saw that parallel with those, with the brother and sister early on with, with Emmett and Lucy and it's played for, for comedic effect where you have Lucy doing her brooding, which is spot on by the way, she's a great brooder. And we have Emmett who is just this happy go lucky optimist. He's got the coffee and I love the juxtaposition of his just kind of, hey, how's it going in the midst of Apocalypseburg, where everything is not awesome and everything is dreary. And what I picked up on in light of the relationship between Bianca and Finn is the fact that we have this optimist and we have this pessimist in Emmett and Lucy, which we had in the Lego movie, but this is a lot more pronounced because of the circumstances and it's Emmett's optimism and cheery nature that initially brings the Lego Duplo invasion as I call, as I would call it. And what we initially interpret as a bad thing. And I look at this and I see that as the movie goes on, what I think the movie is trying to do is tell us that Emmett and Lucy honestly need each other to thrive in balancing their reality with with optimism and a sense of not pessimism but 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 realism and it's reflected in that last sequence in the real world right before the credits where the two worlds that Finn and Bianca have created have come together and it's you know played out and i also love the fact Aaron that we don't 
have them build their stuff in Bianca's room or in the basement where Finn does his stuff, but it's actually outside. It's in this neutral place. And so it's not being, it's not that he's building his stuff in conjunction with her creation or that she's building her stuff in relation to his, but they're both building their world, their collective world together in a new place, in a new planet, a new land, if you will, where you have this chaos, this beautiful chaos of raptors and cats living together, mass hysteria, you know, <laughs> like the Ghostbusters thing. And I think that there's something nice about seeing the pairing of Bianca and Finn intermixed with with Emmett and Lucy, because from a male female perspective, it's the they have the opposite kind of personality. You know, Finn is the real dark kind of creator, whereas Bianca is more of the tea party and pink and happy type of thing. But in the movie, or not in the movie, excuse me, in the in the Lego world, it's completely the opposite of that. And then what we what we perceive initially is is that type of thing where the Lego Duplos are the bad guys and the world of darkness and chaos and and Mad Max Fury Road is actually a a good thing. And I think that I think that the movie does a good job of helping kind of create that parallel so that we can make that connection near the end of the fact that it's not just about playing together in the real world, but it's about being together and knowing that you both have something to bring to the world that you're creating. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, they're looking for kind of a a harmony between their two worlds. And I love that you mentioned that, that they actually find that in the backyard in a neutral spot. That's a great observation because they can still have their individual spots. Right. It's okay. It's okay to have Apocalypseburg just be Apocalypseburg. And it's okay to have the Sistar system just designed for the Sistar system. It's also good to join together and to have that time that you can spend together. Mm-hmm. And I think that it shows us that. I think that's a good example of it right there. Um, yeah, the, 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 gosh, I'm going to get all the names confused at this point. The, the Lucy and Emmett <laughs> relationship is a really good parallel of that. And I think there's also a lot, there's just a lot going on here. And I think that that's part of what some folks have uh, issues with yourself included is getting a little distracted because there's so many things that movies kind of saying, if we were just following the idea of the sister and the brother coming together without a bunch of other messages being given to us and moral messages being kind of driven home, it might flow a little better, but we get some feminist things thrown in here, um, which are great. I mean, Queen, what is her name? <laughs> whatever wanna be, whatever I wanna be is her name. It is fantastic. I just love the pun use here. Um, but she's considered herself this evil queen, right? I mean, there's even there's a whole song that is her saying I'm not evil, when in reality she's like trying to make deals with, like with the devil. As far as with the characters, she's promising their their heart's desire if they'll follow her. In reality. You know, those characters are just trying to find a way to bridge the gap. They feel that they can't be themselves around Finn's characters because they won't be accepted as themselves. For example, the, uh, I can't even remember what her name is now, but, um, the captain or the, the character that kidnaps them in the first place. Yeah. You know, she's a doll. She's not even a Lego minifig. 
And that's part of the problem. She's come, she's hiding herself in this suit. She's wearing a mask to put forth this product that she thinks will be accepted. And the same with Queen Watanabe, changing herself over and over and over again to try and fit what she is. It's like code switching uh, for ethnic groups. You know, it's like trying to match what she thinks will get the result that she desires as far as, you know, emotional needs getting met. It's it's really brilliant stuff, but it's a lot going on. And it's it's kind of just touched on. You know, it's like none of not one of those things is completely a plot that goes all the way through the movie. But I enjoyed that, of course, um, as I mentioned. I, I'd like it. I like that the big studio is willing to put characters like this in. And, and I'm not really surprised, you know, with it being Lord and Miller. They've shown the guts to go for diversity and inclusion and, and really champion those things in the Lego movie and now leading into, you know, or uh, Spider-Man and now this Lego movie too. It actually almost undoes some of the things in Lego movie. It has a critique even at one point where one of the characters, I, I forget specifics here, but um, I think it's the queen who's telling Lucy that he, she's like, you did everything. Like you, you accomplished all of the tasks, but Emmett is considered the special and got all the credit. Like, why is that the way the world is? So there's a ton of like little nuggets going on here that I really enjoyed, but I, I can understand how that can feel disjointed as well to some other viewers. Yeah, but I will say this. The idea of not being true to yourself lives in Emmett as well. It's what really creates the conflict between him and his past self or future future self. And again, what I think Lord and Miller do really well is they wrap up these really interesting concepts in juxtaposed humor. And so we have this over we have an obviously looking you know similar looking character in rex and in our heads we're like but that's it's chris pratt he's just playing the same guy only with stubble and with a deeper kind of voice and we laugh at that but then we get to the place where like oh no he really is Emmett. he is and i think rex stands for something doesn't it? it's r-e-x really like something Emmett exterminator or i can't remember maybe you'll look it up or something radical emmet extreme yes radical emmet extreme and i think there are a lot of more a lot more aha moments that we have in this that that are refreshing for sure i mean if i had to pick an op an an alternative one more takeaway be deceptive because there's a lot early on that we are we are told one thing and then later on it's revealed that that's not the case you know the duplos are not the enemy they're actually there to be friends and the concept of of Emmett changing and becoming a breaker instead of a maker is something that is not like him. Even though there's power behind that, even though he is impressed by what he doesn't know at this point, his future self, he's influenced by Lucy. And Lucy has some remorse for that. Like she says, I didn't want, I thought I wanted you to be this when in actuality, you should just have been yourself because that's who you are. And that idea of changing for someone else, I think can be very dangerous, at least in this, in this idea, in this world, it's very much played up as 
whatever you want me to be or whatever you want to be, you can be it. But to what end and to what detriment or benefit? And what we see is that there's a lot of more, there's a lot more detriment to that where people aren't, the characters aren't thinking for themselves. They're thinking, this is what I do want, but now it costs something else for me. Yeah. And and it goes on both sides. I mean, the Duplos are trying to become what they think they need to become in order to gain the Legos attention and the Legos, you know, approval, just like Emmett is trying to become Rex Danger Vest in order to gain Lucy's approval because he's not serious enough and he's not like down enough. He doesn't, he doesn't take it seriously. So, um, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I love the riffing on his career here. I think it's totally fun. And I, I called it out on my review. Even I said, you know, this probably, this part of the movie isn't going to hold up frankly, in like 10 or 15 years when many of Chris Pratt's movies are not in our right front face of our mind, like Mag 7, nobody's going to remember that or care about that years from now. The Jurassic World movies, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, a little bit. Star-Lord, they'll remember. But, you know, the jokes aren't going to hit as hard as they do right in this moment. And the more of Chris Pratt's films you've seen, the more of his characters you know, you're going to enjoy this better. But I do love the way that it keeps them apart for most of the movie. Um, and it lets her become kind of who she really is and out of context of being there to help Emmett. Like we get to learn about her hair color and some of her past. She gets to interact with other women. I don't think she gets to do that in the first film at all. Like she's the token girl in the first film, essentially. And so that's really good. And then you contrast that with Emmett and Rex, and it's really, it's able to, like you said, it pokes kind of at that implication there that, you know, there's a problem with toxic masculinity, and that's what Rex Dangervex represents, is this character that is a rough and tumble rogue and you know, he just goes after whatever he wants and he gets it because he's a guy and because he's, you know, strong and manly and that that's what Emmett needs to be able to succeed. And so, yeah, I, I, I really liked some of the stuff that's being poked at here. And my biggest takeaway is that if you're, it presents it in a way that kids might ask questions that parents can then take home and have a conversation about. So it doesn't give you that full story, as I said before, that full plot thread of this, this is how this whole thing plays out. But it shows it to you in a way that might make a kid go, huh, but why did, why doesn't, why isn't Rex Dangervest way okay? And then a parent has the opportunity to then take that and make it a further conversation. Absolutely. And for most movies, I like those open-ended kind of those open-ended stories that open up the conversation. I think the biggest area that I struggled with is the one area that I didn't want to at all. And that's the time travel element. This was really unexpected. And as Rex was unwilling slash willing to give his backstory, (laughs) we get this whole sequence where he talks about how he just created a time travel device from a, you know, a DeLorean and from a TARDIS and which I thought was great too. Yeah. I, re- I got all those references. And I thought it was fantastic, but 
this part I had issue with because that's when the story got kind of muddy. I understood it because I've seen enough time travel movies to to get, oh, okay, I'm going back to do this, to stop that. But, and this is me, this might be a nitpick or this might be a, hey, it's that's dumb. Don't even, why are you even thinking about that? But I tried to connect that to the real world events. And I'm thinking, did did Finn restart something? Did he create a time travel kind of idea where, and 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 I might be overthinking that, and if I am, just tell me. But I think that's where I got caught. I got caught in this world of like, okay, he can't really time travel, and it, but then I have to think what you mentioned earlier. It's your imagination, but then it's not Finn's imagination at this point. It's actually, it's actually Rex. It's actually. Emmett doing this kind of change and it got got really disjointed at that point and I, I had I had a real struggle with kind of grasping that even though I love time travel it mm-hmm. just didn't fit for me even though it helped kind of deus ex machina kind of the whole oh that's what happened yeah I it didn't land for me yeah that I I mean I get it I don't I don't, I don't really have a an argument or a way to explain it to you because it doesn't have a great explanation to be had in my opinion. Like I'm with you. I didn't fully understand it either. We see Emmett kind of, he got kicked underneath the washer and dryer and he got left there and forgotten about. And that's what ends up creating the Rex danger vest persona. And so I, frankly, I didn't care. I just didn't care. I saw a spaceship that was made out of a ton of different time machines that I knew and loved from the movies and TV and comics and I was like, ooh, ah, shiny. I was just sucked in by how cool that was. I saw Rex Danger Vest disappearing piece by piece, a la Back to the Future, and I thought that was amazing. And I simply didn't care about the logistical accuracy of the time travel. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what's interesting. I asked my kids, what was your CP? And my daughter said that she thought it was probably Emmett coming back out from underneath the washer and the dryer and like finding the strength to get himself out. And I found that incredibly intriguing because I thought that was probably the dumbest scene in the entire movie <laughs> because I was like, well, this Lego is now like 100% in control of himself. Like we're seeing him in the real world and he's actually being sentient or like he has, agency over his body somehow because he was like you know flopping left like side over side Mm -hmm. and she thought that that was just the the neatest thing to see him actually move in the real world like it it was crossing over um and i and i it was really crazy to me because of how differently we viewed that scene as part of the time travel but she didn't care because that was her emotional moment like she thought that was great because he was fighting through these feelings that he had to be a certain way and he was coming out of it no matter what whether he was alive or not alive it didn't matter almost and i I just i thought that was it was really interesting (laughs) yeah because i'm landing on the same page that you are where i was like now you're really kind of breaking yeah you're breaking the the wall and and it's just like you've lost all rules at this point well but in in her defense the Lego movie was on, um, we went to see my parents that afternoon. It was actually on TV, so we were watching it. And I remember the very end of the Lego movie, 
Emmett moved his body when he was on the uh, workbench or something where Will, Fer- Will Ferrell's character was doing some work and he was actually moving, but it wasn't that pronounced. Like he wasn't actually pushing himself up and then fighting with his older self. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the same page. I am on the same page with you, and that that was kind of a, a a dummy thing. But I love the fact that this is why connecting points are so great, is because it can be different and for different reasons. Um, before we get into ours, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you mentioned, uh, your third or fourth or fifth or twelfth love of this movie, which was the actual music and the creativity behind that. I think two of the Two of the best creative uses of music and lyrics were this song's going to get stuck in your head. I thought that was pretty fantastic. And also the the way the end credits were lyricized. Uh, I remember you telling me, stay for the credits. You're going to love it. And I was like, is there going to be a mid-credit sequence? Because DC doesn't do that. <laughs> and sure enough, I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm like, oh, you're commentating on how the credits are the best part of the movie. And for things like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, that is definitely the case. But I love the fact that that Lord and Miller and their creative team get so intricate that they take even the smallest things that could be throwaways, as you mentioned before, and they give them life, they give them meaning, they give them entertainment value at the very least. And the stuck in your head song and that were two that stood out to me as being very not only meta but also very clever in terms of how they were created and i had a great time listening to those well i agree that those are both excellent um as far as in the context of the movie the catchy song i've got my issues with but that's only because it's actually catchy and it does get stuck inside your stinking so it head. does it does the job it does exactly what it says it's gonna do um but yeah brilliant brilliantly written uh, i just don't know that i in, am happy about that at the, all the time um the in credit scenes though like i said it, it is awesome i'm so glad you got to stay for it because it's one of the coolest things i've ever seen is someone giving it's one of the coolest things i've ever seen it's someone giving actual praise and recognition to the people in the credits in a way that your attention is drawn to them because normally we just gloss over so much. We don't pay attention to it. And we don't realize or think about all of the people that are playing a part in creating this thing we just saw. We think about the stars or the director or the writers. And it, it's it's amazing. I mean, it was just so clever um, and unique just in that way that, that those guys are able to do. And they do that throughout, actually. Uh, Miller is actually from Lake Stevens, along with Chris Pratt. They're both from right here where I live in Washington State, right down the street. And there's, that's the reason that Rex Dangervest's vest is blue with a neon green accent is because it is it is ripping off of the Seahawks. It's intentionally supposed to show us Seahawk colors. There are a couple other moments where um, there's an NBA minifig that shows up, and it's Gary Payton. That's a Sonics reference. So I, I like that they are willing to throw those things in there and they're really, they just are, they have so much fun with it. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be creative in this playground and just do whatever and innovate and invent. But with regards to the music, I think I said this earlier. I, I, I did. I almost fell out of my seat. I was so excited when they said, Oh, this is going to be a musical. And I, I just, Oh my gosh, you're kidding me. Right. And it, 
because it's a traditional musical. The songs are not played over action happening. The songs are spoken lyrics that are progressing the plot as the action is taking place. That is what a real musical is. And they felt theatrical to me. Not Evil, uh, Gotham City Guys, the Everything's Not Awesome song. I really liked it as well. Um, it, it actually plays off of the catchy song in a way that I think made it very impactful. You know, it just says, this song's going to get stuck inside you. This song's going to get stuck inside you. And he says it over and over. And he says, this song's going to get stuck inside your heart. And they change it. And it goes from this very melancholy song where they're saying everything is is not awesome and, and the world's awful and things and then it switches and and it it's really it's it reminded me a lot of like watching Evan Hansen with you the a uh, few weeks ago where you have a song that is a theater song and it starts off and someone is lamenting about something and midway through the song they are learning or coming upon an epiphany and the song's mood changes and it becomes a song of hope that's what this song does it goes from everything's not awesome to saying it's not realistic expectation but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to make everything awesome in a less idealistic kind of way we should maybe aim for not bad because not bad well that would be really great everything is better when we stick together and it goes on to have this great message and and you see a character's mindset changing throughout the song it's it's brilliant it's it's such a great use of music in this movie i loved it and i loved every single number and and i can listen to them again on the soundtrack and they work and they feel like they're in a stage musical i just i thought they were awesome man i as much as i love everything is awesome from the original movie as a pop song these songs for me hit on a totally different level because of my love of Songs that progress the plot. I would absolutely be in agreement with you. And I am. I think that Everything's Not Awesome is probably my... It's the most meaningful song in in the movie for the reasons that you mentioned. And what it does for me is it tells me that having a realistic but optimistic expectation about the world that you live in. It doesn't have to be amazing and incredible all the time that normal can be satisfying too. And I think that that's a character trait that both Lucy and Emmett are working through together, which again, yes, everything's better when we're together. Um, but I like the fact that there's enough awareness of the song itself. Everything's awesome to be able to expand on it and keep the tune, the familiarity of the tune, but altering the lyrics in order to mature the message. And I think you're right. Having a more melancholy or a more dramatic way to sing that song enhances its message a lot more and it adds a lot more meaning and weight to it. And and it's good. It, it really is. It's one that it's it's singable and it's memorable in a different way that the pop version of Everything is Awesome is, but still uses the same tune, which is just very, it's really smart, honestly. 
not to really totally tease it here, I guess, or give it away, but since we're about to move into connecting points anyway, this was my number two, my close number two, and both my number one and number two are songs. That, yeah. That's that's how much I really loved the music in this and thought that it enhanced and impacted the story in a meaningful way. Well, let's not keep the people waiting. Go ahead and drop in with your connecting point. If I might, Patrick, we picked the same thing. So this is one of those times where we ended up having the same connecting point. We don't know yet if it's for the same reasons because we haven't talked this through. But since we picked the same connecting point, it might be fun to give everybody a quick little refresh. So let's play this little song. Sounds good. Oh, great. More singing right on time. Listen, Bruce. Who's Bruce? It's nothing personal. It's just... I've dated men like you before and you're just not my type. My Never around during the day, only come out at night. Emotionally wounded, dark and brooding all the time. Hanging around with clowns, I don't need that in my life. I ain't Selena Kyle, I ain't no Vicky Bell. I was never into you even when you were Christian Bale. I'm more of a Keaton guy myself. Oh, I love Timmy's Beetlejuice. I'm just not into God. But that's what makes us so relatable. I'm just not into guys who can fly. I can fly. The bat wing can fly. Rich boys with gadgets are not my type. What is your type? Kryptonian men on my crib tonight. Bruce. I'm just not into Gotham City guys. So what? You're not into me. I don't care. But like, listen up. You're clearly just confused. Gotham dudes are the best. We have deep manly voices and insanely ripped pecs. We're Affleck level hot and we're Oprah level rich. With George Clooney level charm and Val Kilmer lips. We work for our powers cause we're self-made men. We didn't just get them from the sun like an entitled alien. Go on one day with me and you'll change your mind. Unsubscribe. I'm just not into God. Who would never settle down Unlike other superheroes Who are strong and not afraid Of commitment and relationships I won't name any names But I'll give you a hint He's made of steel And wears a red cape Alright, well I love this song so much um, I was dancing like crazy to this And I mean... My dancing, Patrick, oh, it's bad. It's very bad. I don't know if it's really Batman-like, but I was kind of trying to be Batman-like. Were you doing Were you doing the Batusi? I was not, and I wasn't flossing. Maybe that was my problem. I should have put on a Batman mask and cowl and then uh, gone and done some flossing. Maybe my kids would have appreciated it better. As long as it was it, white. Not to be confused with you, white. But bro, white. bro. I need a white caped batman lego minifig and i need a glittery haired aquaman lego minifig we haven't talked about it yet but aquaman's two cameos in this i went nuts as our listeners probably expected okay you were, you were thought about for sure i digress that's number that's connecting point number three was aquaman's two brief appearances anyway so we both picked gotham city guys 
This is such a fun musical number for all the reasons that I just went over before about how the songs in this impacted the plot. It's all about messing with your expectations and kind of surprising you. We go into this scene and Queen Watanabe is wanting to marry Batman. And Batman is vehemently against this plan. He does not want to marry her. And he's he's resistant, but what we see go throughout this song is that he changes his tune, not because she makes a point and that he is suddenly it makes sense for him to marry her or he suddenly falls in love with her. He changes his mind because she tells him she doesn't want him. And so it starts from a place of jealousy and it's done in a humorous way. The lyrics are so, so good in this song. The way that she uses Superman against him, it is brilliant because it speaks to this belief that we are better than someone else, that, that we can easily start to have. Batman always has believed that he is better than Superman, um, that he is human and Superman is alien. There's a great line in this about like, I didn't get my powers from the sun like some entitled alien. But what it shows us is like in many iterations of the Batman story, Batman always brings the problem to Superman. Like he's the one that always has the issue with Clark. Clark doesn't usually start the fight, so to speak. And she calls that out in this song. And so I love that it's almost parodying the Batman property, but in doing so, it perfectly shows us that even though he thinks he's the most reliable person in the world, Superman is unconcerned with that completely. And Superman's not buying into this kind of competition that Batman has created. And so she's able to use that as a tactic and supposedly beat the unbeatable Batman by turning around his ego on himself. It's his ego that undoes him. And it's just so smartly constructed that on the surface, you don't necessarily see it because you're listening to the lyrics and you're enjoying the fun commentary that's taking place. But she is completely owning him in this moment and using his own overconfidence in his own self against him and it's it's breaking him down to a point where he's got to confront that and i and i thought it was awesome and I, it was my favorite character and so on top of that you know it just it all worked for me so well well this is my my connecting point as well and for completely different reasons uh, and yours are are valid but not the same and this is <laughs> this is good my one word takeaway, wishful or wishing, connects with this because the lyrics are fantastic. And that particular line about the entitled alien, what we've seen in, I don't know if it was in the Lego movie, but for sure in Batman. And now in this one, we have Will Arnett, who I think is becoming one of my favorite Batmans in the, the iterations, calling out his relationship with with Superman or having it called out because of the queen. And in all honesty, Aaron, it's really got me wanting 
a team up wanting another like a a Lord and Miller animated Batman Superman movie where they have this hilarious conflict and all the tropes of Superman and all the tropes of Batman are coming together and they tell a well-told story. I mean, I trust Lord and Miller with with their writing and I trust them with their humor and having this kind of idea used this having Superman used to squash Batman's ego is completely obvious, but it's also completely something that we haven't seen. I mean, we, we got a more serious version of it a little bit in BVS, but these are two iconic DC characters that we like seeing on screen and the Lego property and the, really the, uh, the Warner animation group in general has done a great job at putting these guys on screen together. I've seen, uh, Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, it's pretty fantastic. Their relationship, I think, is one of legend. It's one that is worth seeing on screen because of their dichotomy, because of their complete opposite approaches to the world. So to put an, a comedic spin on that, this song made me want that. It made me want to see if there's a Lego Batman 2, Man, what if it's Lego Batman v Superman? That kind of thing. Or if it's something... Do not tease me. I'm telling you, it's something that I think I, I, I would be the one seeing it. And I think there's enough about both of those characters that could be celebrated in the satire and make for a really entertaining movie. And I, I told you this, that whenever uh, we, we covered Lego Batman, it's I said, man, I want a Superman movie. And you're like, yeah, I want that for you. Well, this would be a great way to bring that in because I, for one, as much of a Superman fan as I am, know how difficult it is to tell a Superman story. And you, when you tell a good one, you get things like Death of Superman, Reign of the Superman. But it's difficult to get a Superman <laughs> Lego story because he's not built on comedy. So when you put him up against Batman, who is completely that way in this universe, I think you could have tons of fun. Uh, I, I was telling Jeremy, we were talking about the our reactions to the movie, and I said, I wanted more Justice League. Like when they left, and we get these great comments from Green Lantern and, and Aquaman, I'm like, what, where are you going? Oh, man, I wanted to have you guys back. And then you see them again, uh, you know, all sparkled up and doing their little their little dance. It just, it made me want more of that. And I think it would be a fantastic team-up movie that, that these guys could put together. And if I ever see that coming out, I'm going to probably just have a conniption. It just excites oh. me so much. Oh, me too. I would lose myself completely. And that's part of why I think the Lego Movie 2 resonates with me so much. Why I love it so much is because it feels almost like a spiritual sequel to Lego Batman movie as much as it does the Lego Movie because sure. of how involved Batman is. Yeah. And how we have those parallel storylines with Batman and Emmett going. And I, and I obviously am all about the Batman. But I, I, yeah, I love it, man. I love that you pointed all that stuff out. I completely am with you. I am all the way here for Lego Batman versus Superman movie or Lego Batman and Superman or Lego Justice League led by Batman and Superman, whatever. I like these characters, the way that they have created them. And I, I too love Will Arnett. I also like one more piece of commentary I'm going to throw on this amazing, amazing song that is so layered the way in which at the end of it, he is being that annoying male that is unable to take no for an answer that we <laughs> are trying to shut down in the world today. Go on one date with me and I'll change your mind. She says, unsubscribe. I'm just not into Gotham City, guys. He's like, give me a chance. 
you know, and, and she's like, no, thank you. Hard pass. And he's like, he keeps pushing her. He keeps pushing her. And she just keeps saying no, 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 until the point where she has to like hit him with the hardest punch she can by telling him, I'll give you a hint. He's made a steal and wears a red cape. Like, I'm not going to beat around the bush anymore. Superman's the guy I want because he won't just stop. <laughs> like, guys, stop. If the girl doesn't want you, she doesn't want you. Like, it's okay. Um, and his ego won't allow for that. So yeah, I, I love it, man. It's, it's so good. It's so good. And, and, I hope that everybody listening enjoyed hearing it again on the podcast and goes and buys this soundtrack so you can listen to it a million times over because that's what I've been doing all day and <laughs> it holds up. I mean, you just play this one on repeat. Uh, whether I don't know if I can say whether you're a Batman or a Superman fan or not, but it works for Batman Superman fans. Obviously. You could take a sample size with some of your coworkers and just have it play in your in your office and see what they think. <laughs> Well, that's it for us. Uh, be sure to stick around this uh, later this week. We have a new FF Plus coming out. We'll have an Arctic review and, along with an interview with Mads Mikkelsen. And we will be revealing the 2019 Feeler's Choice Awards nominations that will get voted on. And I got to tell you, Aaron, this is a favorite part of my year is getting a chance to do this and connect with, with the folks that are going to be voting. It's going to be fantastic. Um, after that, we'll have our second entry in the theater. We're going to be checking out Alita Battle Angel. I know that's going to be something that um, has gotten some mixed reviews, but we're pretty optimistic about it because it's James Cameron and he never does anything wrong, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. But, you know, I watched Mortal Engines tonight and that's kind of in the same boat here where it's produced by Peter Jackson, oh. but Peter Jackson didn't direct it. And there's a very distinct difference when you can have a different director here. And Alita is kind of by James Cameron, but it's directed by Robert Rodriguez. Okay. Now, I have some more faith in Robert Rodriguez than I did this unknown guy who directed Mortal Engines that did a very bad job. So, <laughs> yes, still super excited about Alita and manga adaptations in general. Usually, you know, they're always fun. It's cool to see. And if anything, we know we're in for a visual treat, right. regardless it, of what we think about. So will it start at the end of the story and work its way backwards? Like a true man? No, I'm just kidding. Wow. That's, you know what? I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> the credits wouldn't. roll first and then. I would not. <laughs> well, that's all great stuff, Patrick. I can't wait. And as we say goodbye, let's just leave everyone with a little gift, shall we? You're welcome, feelers.
Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.